join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Little Oak Weekly. Thanks for joining us today. I hope everyone's new year is off to the start that they wanted. And uh, as often is the case with New Year's, we have resolutions that often, uh, you know, surround things like health and fitness and well-being. Uh, so our today's guest is focused exactly on that. Good friend of mine, Barry Ratzlaff, who's a well-known and experienced personal trainer in the Fraser Valley, joins us today uh, to have a conversation around New Year's resolutions pressures and internal and external that come with this time of year. Motivation is something that we discuss. Uh, we get into food and training philosophies. We talk about various fads, what happens chemically in the body in order to gain muscle and lose fat. So we get into the topics of obviously proteins and carbohydrates and fats and everything surrounding uh, that conversation. And then we also talk at length about the entrepreneurs that Barry works with and some observations that he has in these areas in, in what their patterns are um, with training and mindset and, uh, and eating right as well. Barry is a very, very knowledgeable guy with a number of different uh, designations, and he's been at this for over 20 years. And so uh, this is just a, a great informative conversation that I hope is very timely given the time of year. I think a number of us are all you know, in that space where we're wanting to get the train back on the tracks, if you want to put it that way. And there's just nobody that I trust more in this conversation than Barry. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did chatting with Barry. There we are. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, hey. Hey, there you are. I tried you the uh, the first time and it didn't really work, eh? Uh, you rang here, but uh, then it was dead when I picked it up. <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be you answering or some other, you know, voice concoction that you thought up. In a, well, in a, I brought a disclaimer I need to play for you, but uh, we can do that in a bit. <laughs> well, we're, I'm, I'm recording everything, so you, you know, we, whatever. Oh, okay. we're, we're, we're live, baby. We're live. Okay. Well, well, before I say anything, I should probably just play the disclaimer then. Okay. Go, go ahead and play it. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay. The information given in this interview is provided as a thought catalyst and should not be taken as sound medical guidance. <laughs> Always consult your personal physician before beginning an exercise or nutrition regimen. <laughs> the opinions expressed herein do not reflect the collective ideology of Remax Little Oak Realty Corporation or its affiliates. <laughs> and for goodness sake, put the cookies down. Wow. So that that kind of covers that. So. <laughs> This is amazing. I knew you were going to come with something. I just didn't know. I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I did that like three minutes ago. I thought, oh, I should have something like that. It'd be fun. Uh, I thought, you know, I had actually, in an, in an effort to combat your humor, I thought you were going to do something with like a nursery rhyme or something like that. So I even have my own funny thing ready to play on my computer, which I've never done before in any other conversation. But I thought, well, you better play it then. I thought, well, I was just going to hear, I'll, I'll, I'll see, I'll, I'll play. It was a little Good Morning song, so hopefully, okay. hopefully you can hear it. The sun is rising. Everybody can you hear that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. It's just a, it's a little it's just a little nursery rhyme that 
Is that uh, Barney? Uh, it's, I don't know. It's some child nursery rhyme. I mean, okay. you know, I've, you're also one of my earlier uh, conversations. So what did, you were probably up crazy early this morning, weren't you? Uh, five. I not too, not too bad. I was up at five fifteen this morning. I, wow, I'm so almost you with go. you. Uh, yeah. Kristen was. Uh, she's off to go skiing for the day with a friend. So you know, she sets an alarm, and that's the end of my sleep, kind of thing. It, it all comes to a conclusion. Yeah. 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 Kind of a nasty day for skiing, but hey, there you go. Yeah, and I hope their drive is okay too. Yeah. Hey, you get uh, you're you you get a first time award here this morning. Oh yeah. You're you're the first person that I've ever uh, podcasted with twice. So you can oh. you can hear the uh, the applause in the background. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll get you a mug that's engraved oh, or something boy. like that. That's fantastic. But it actually reminded me. We did this back when I'd started a, a, a separate podcast. We we did this right before, like sometime just before pandemic lockdown. Yeah, it was just before. In my in my living room when we were uh, in a very different place. So, anyways, I was reminiscing on that this morning as I was preparing <laughs> back when to we call were free you. to move about. Yeah, how much has changed? No kidding. So, why don't we? start with so the premise i mean you know this i'm just going to repeat some of this for the listener but the uh the, so this episode is going to be launching uh third week of january and we're going to be talking about health and fitness and training and food and stuff like that today but before we get into that why don't you just give a little background on you know your career you know the things you've done and accomplished what you do today uh just to give people a bit of background on on you know your ability to speak into these types of topics yeah, well, I already played the disclaimer, so people <laughs> yeah, can, right. so people they know you're obviously an expert. <laughs> yeah, they they can just leave, take it or leave it. But uh, no, I mean, I uh, I started my my adult life, working life as a youth pastor. Uh, so I'm an ordained minister, which that came to a conclusion around 2002. Mm-hmm. And just before that came to conclusion, I was a participant and a winner in the Body for Life contest, which was a big thing back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was a physique transformation thing where you get in shape, take some pictures, and, and hopefully win some prizes. So I won that thing, and that turned into uh, basically worldwide um, contacts. People were contacting me from all over the place trying to figure out how I did this, and I was doing lots of consultation on the side, free stuff. And that became uh, basically was, you know what, I need to get certified so I can give advice and not be mm-hmm. <laughs> held liable for these things. So I got certified. My wife and I both did. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was leaving the ministry and entering into the, the world of fitness and gyms, started our own private studio. And that was 21 years ago wow. and haven't looked back since. So, yeah, it's been 21 years of just basically one-on-one training with individuals. Uh, I've had a lot of people try to convince me I should open a bigger gym, you know, a big facility, kind of make it a, a thing. But uh, as you and I have talked about a few times, that has never been on my radar. It's always been... My passion has been the individual, working with uh, very interesting people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. and uh, just walking with them in a fitness journey. And it's that's kind of where my heart is, and that's what I enjoy, and that's what we continue to do. And I've I've probably never actually asked you this, but what is your like? You've got a very whatever you have various certifications. So what are your what are your certifications that you that you need to keep up in order to do this? We're certified as personal trainers under ACE, the American Council of Exercise. We're fitness and lifestyle coach development. Got that certification. I've got uh, spinal sport and health recovery, that certification. I've got sport nutrition certification. 
Um, basically, every two years, you you have to apply another certification to your to your dossier so you can keep going. Right. So I think I've got a total of ten different different certifications in in multiple areas, like food uh, and, and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it covers all the bases, but when it comes down to it, you have all these all these different certifications and all these different fields of knowledge. But when it comes down to it, the basics are the basics. And hmm. it always comes back to the same thing over and over and over again. If you make the stew too complicated, it doesn't taste very good. But hmm. make it just beef and potatoes and a few carrots and you got my attention. <laughs> you want to talk about, maybe we should just talk about food. Well, we'll talk, we'll talk lots about food. Okay, so let, let, this, your, this episode, I mean, this is intentional that we're having this conversation this time of year. And we're actually going to launch yeah. this episode on, I believe it's going to be the 17th of January which is the beginning of the third week of the year, which according to my reading and studies, and you might actually say something to this, I think people's New Year's resolutions, they fall off, like the rate in which they fall off at the end of the first month, like it's some obscenely high number. Oh, it's, yeah, it's bizarre. And so what I want to effort to do today is talk through not only the resolution aspect of health and fitness, but get into some of the nitty gritty details of you know different diets different ways of training what what physically goes on in the body in an effort to give people some i would say you know some practical i almost said the word scientific i hate the word science these days um pra <laughs> practical information do you, do you want me to use my bonnie henry voice so i can talk very quietly about please. all the different principles involved here <laughs> please no please no <laughs> in an effort to give people you know i, I think Education and and real information is is something that can really help, and I can say that from my own you know my own health journey. So that's the the premise for today. But I wanted to start then, just maybe on the whole the, the New Year's resolution topic. I mean, this is maybe a very a tough question to start with, but why do why is there such a high fail rate? Um, why do people fall off? You know, they they come in with such you know determination. Uh, they've maybe you know spent six weeks of eating and drinking and putting on weight and in the conviction yeah. is real on the 31st and then for some reason by the 21st of january the fail rate is just incredibly high so w what is what are the lead contributors to that i think there's a few factors at play there i mean it's i mean that's a deep deep pool that depending on the individual psychological makeup everything else you'd have all kinds of stuff going on for why that fails but i think in my own experience what i see is the number one would be uh, this whole process of externalization of hope, hmm. where a person kind of surrenders their surrenders their will to a program, to an idea, to something they saw online. They say, "Oh, this is the thing. This is I'm going to attach myself to this thing." But there's no real personal accountability built into that. It's just they've externalized it again. So they're they're saying, "I'm surrendering my power to this to this system." So say I P90X. I'm going to try that one. See how that one goes. Right. They get into it. But built into that system where you're using someone else's world, and you do need advice, you need some of the guides, you need all those things. But when you've sort of said, I'm going to try this thing, because you often hear that, I'm going to try this for a while and see how it works. Hmm. But there's, a, there's always an escape clause to it. So when you have the escape clause built into it, there's also a victim mentality built into it, which is accompanied by a self-sabotage clause. So people will get jump into something, say, I'm going to do this, this is going to be awesome. They get into it, they realize it's kind of hard, it's not easy, 
Um, it's not quite what they had expected. Life happens. You know, oh, I had to pick up the kids and I missed this one and then I didn't eat this meal and I did this and this and this. Next thing you know, they feel like they're failing and they're immediately looking for some degree of, they need someone to blame that on. They need someone to pin that on. And so they want to externalize it. So there's that escape clause, the last, the lack of uh, personal ownership. And so they defer and they say, no, you know what? It's not my fault. It's, it's my genetics. It's my life. It's my age. It's my situation. It's my partner. They don't support me. It's, it's this, 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 and this. So we externalize it and we lose our personal power. The people that I see, see succeed are the ones who say, you know what? I'm going to own this. This is all on me. I can't blame anybody. It can be any program. And the thing is, if you look at all the programs in the world, all of them have success stories. All of them have people that have done well. Sure. And it's a small percentage, but they all have them. Why is that? Because there's certain individuals that jump into these things and they have said, I'm going to do this. Not for, you know, I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm just going to own my own stuff. All the things I've done in my body, the way I've eaten and drank and all the things I've done, I'm owning that. And then I'm going to own this program. This is on me. And so if you have that little piece, that little ownership piece, things are dramatically different. If you have the other side of the coin, which is sort of cultural these days, because we've been marketed and promised to death by all these programs, buy this plan, get these results. Through that system, we have sort of just expected that, "Ah, I don't think it's going to work. I'll try, but it's not going to work. And so off we go. Do you think, like when you look at our society and the way we eat, I may be projecting here a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I'm just saying what I think, but like, yeah. I think we're sick. Like, I think we eat just so, so horribly. And so my question, I guess, is do, like, how much do you think a poor diet is impacting people's ability to make a change? Because I think people genuinely, like they, they're genuine when they say I want, when someone says like, I got to do something, I, I can't live like this anymore. I don't think they're lying. It's just that I think that there's, there, there's some significant roadblocks in the way. And, I, and when I look at the way we eat in the Western world, like I think that's, a, that's probably the biggest roadblock. Yeah. Yeah, no question. We, uh, we poison ourselves on a daily basis. There's, there's no doubt about that. And there's, a, there's a, a horrific amount of ignorance surrounding all of this. If you walk through a grocery store, what percentage of that store actually contains nutritious food? Mm-hmm. And what percentage is just pure poison? Or at best, really just muted calories. They're blended with all kinds of stuff that you just don't need and the body can't really process. So there's that. But when I say program, I mean not just a a regimen for exercise. I mean a holistic program. So going into it with, okay, I've got my nutrition plan. I've got my exercise plan. I've got all these things lined up. And uh, so, yeah, but if you add that one in there, if you, if you add ignorance when it comes to, or just a lack of, it's not ignorance, it's a lack of knowledge surrounding nutrition, um, which is actually, I would say in any transformative sense, a person trying to get from point A to point B is about 80% of the equation is what you put in your mouth. Because our bodies are closed systems, right? The, you, nothing gets in that we don't allow in. Stuff gets out because we exhale you know, CO2 and H2O, and you pee it out and you poo it out and everything else, but nothing gets into these bodies except a few little maybe from, you know, in the air, and occasionally a a virus. But uh, nothing gets in our bodies that we don't intend. So when you pick something up and put it in your mouth, that's happening, and you've just done that. So that's a closed system. So if we can control that piece, man, we can control a whole lot. 
I, you know what, I, 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 my bad here. I jumped to food. I didn't want to jump to food yet. I wanted to no, go no, back. I wanted to go back to your, um, your comments around, you know, just us giving ourselves excuses out. I, I, Peloton was brought up to me yesterday. I had a conversation with somebody and they were telling me how, how much they were enjoying Peloton. And I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this. I'm wondering if Peloton's success, like I, I believe, I don't know what the data is, but I believe um, you know, the data with people using Peloton is better than somebody just buying a bike, you know, alone in their basement kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's got, it, and it, you know, it makes sense hearing you talk, I'm thinking, well, the community and the accountability that, that is involved in that program is, is clearly significant in comparison to just, you know, owning a, owning some random bike that you park in your basement on your own and then you're all alone. Yeah. Cause it's a very rare person who has the whatever it is that, you know, the rogue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the rogue element where they can go do something all by themselves Mm -hmm. and succeed at it. I know a few and I am one of them, but there it's a pretty rare breed that can do that. Most of us do require community and someone to support us. So you look at, you look at the Peloton, you look at CrossFit, you look at uh, spin classes, all these group exercise things where people feel like they're part of something. Right. And I think with the, with the advent of the, sort of the decline of a uh, religious world and, mm-hmm. and people using church as that, as that connection point, mm-hmm. people are really looking for connection points when they find something like a spin class or, or the Peloton, they're online with all these people racing against them. Yeah. It, it connects with something inside of them as a human being and they go, wow, this is really significant. And they feel like they can do it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we may as well go to, let's go to food because I, I brought up food already. <laughs> you, you've done this, so 21 years you did this, and I can imagine when you won your body for life competition, you probably thought, well, maybe you didn't. Did you think differently about food then than you do now? And what has happened in 21 years of, you know, learning and trying things? What's been the evolution of your thought process around food from then? And, and where do you where do you land now on you know, how people should eat. Yeah, back, you know, 21 years ago, I guess it was 1999, which would be longer than I guess it's 23 years ago, I looked at the the process. And in order to win a contest like that, you have to be pretty extreme. Sure. Like you've got to be very, very disciplined. Everything has to be lined up. you got to make this thing almost perfect to uh, to get the results, to get the attention, to, to win the prize. And that was happening over what period of time? Like, so just to put context, that, like how many weeks did you have to, to do I what you were trying to do? Back then, so the later Body for Life was 12 weeks. The earlier one, which was actually called Body of Work, Body of Life didn't exist. So I didn't actually have a book or a guide. I made up my own thing. Um, it was unlimited, but obviously the, the shorter your window, the more impressive it was. So mm-hmm. I went 14 weeks. So 14 Got weeks it. was my window. And so it's worth... It's worth noting, sorry, in the food conversation, like, well, we'll we'll bounce back and forth here, but there's, there's clearly a difference between the way, uh, philosophies around the way someone should eat 365 days a year, that, that is something that's, you know, maintainable versus trying to do something over like what, a, a three month window where you, where you have a specific goal. Was that fair? Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, with a little bit of a provisio, which is the, the fact of the body for life. And I come back to it. When I look at all these programs that have come out over the years, um, whatever it happens to be, I won't name any. Sure. I look at them and I go, okay, you're, you're kind of remarketing body for life. Because the idea was, right. I mean, look at the name, body for life. This was a program that was intended to be a long-term thing, something you could do forever. 
And into that program was built a balance between proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. It wasn't an elimination diet where we say, we don't need any carbohydrates or we control our fats or, you know, whatever it is, right? Right. So nothing was eliminated. And they are very strong, and I am a very strong proponent of a free day. So once a week, you get this opportunity to get off the program and just enjoy yourself. Uh, granted that you've actually done the work for those six days. If you've done the work <laughs> for six days, you've suffered and been, you've been disciplined, that, that seventh day becomes just the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. If you've been sloppy and sort of been indulgent in the secretive moments through your week, the seventh day is not deserved and you probably shouldn't take it. In fact, you shouldn't take it. But uh, yeah, so uh, what was the question again? Uh, uh, so the, we're just talking about the way you thought about food yeah. 21 years ago, is it yeah. like, you know, there's a lot that's gone on in, in the world and, you know, you can talk about fads and whatever, but do you, where do you land today versus where you were 21 years ago in terms of how a person should eat, you know, to, to live a balanced, active lifestyle where, you know, you're, you're, you're tr- doing some form of training throughout, throughout the yeah. week? I think the first step is to say, what's, what's the expectation? Because I can give you anything from moderation just a maintenance, a maintenance plan, which I, a lot of the people I work with, they have that. They just, you know what, I don't want to really change too much. I just want to feel good. I want to be stronger. Um, I want to exercise, make sure my heart and lungs are okay. And that's enough for me. Or a person comes in and they say, you know what, I want to put on 25 pounds of muscle. Okay, that's a very different equation. Or mm-hmm. someone comes in and say, I want to lose 50 pounds of fat. That's a very different equation. So it depends on a person's what they're trying to trying to do. But in all those situations, I still think there is moderation that can be applied that doesn't lead to burnout, where you're not killing yourself, to bitterness when it comes towards the gym or to the kitchen. So you're like, I'll never eat another chicken breast or I'll never lift another dumbbell. I'm just so sick of this. If we can build in moderation to some degree with some extremes, because you have to have, I call it extreme moderation, where you have to put yourself into the into the fire to get the results. But then you also have to give yourself the break so that you can recover, rest, and feel good as a human being and live your life. So what is, explain to me then the difference, you know, if a person, so, I mean, and I know it, it varies with everybody's body. So if you want to envision whatever, me or whatever, pick an average man or woman if you want, how are ratios changing? So if somebody says, okay, I want to be in a maintenance program versus I actually, I want to lose fat. What are you doing with, uh, specifically, everyone always wants to know about, you know, fats and carbohydrates. And of course, some of the, the fad diets completely cut some things out. So, yeah. but, you're, but you're saying, no, no, in all programs you maintain. So give me an example of like what the ratios might look like in a, in a balanced, you know, maintenance diet versus a fat loss diet. So if we're talking balance, if we're talking some, some degree of moderation, yeah, the actual ratios aren't that different. So when someone comes into our gym, we do first thing we do is we do a, a body composition test to find out what they're made of. We need to know what's living tissue, what's inert tissue, how much fat you have, how should we be feeding this body? So we have a baseline. So we establish this BMR baseline, basic metabolic rate. This is what your body needs to burn a day just to stay alive. Once we have that number, then we can ask the individual, what are you trying to achieve here? Are you trying to lose fat? Are you trying to gain muscle? Because you can't gain muscle without a surplus of calorie. Your body won't do it. You have to have a, a caloric surplus on some level for the body to gain muscle. Which, that's just, which that's just, yeah. goes against everything that tip, like typically everyone's constantly thinking about 
the opposite, right? Like a like oh, not the scale, not as, the scale, the scale. Yeah, yeah, like lo- lower calories than I'm burning. Lower cal, but you're saying to gain muscle, you've got to have a surplus of calories. Yeah, and because without without muscle, if you and most diet plans actually they work into it. For instance, some of these, you know, like the Jenny Craig's or the Weight Watchers, they've changed their tune over the years, and they've suddenly they're adding protein like crazy. But uh, they built it into their plan that you shouldn't probably do much exercise because you're on such a low calorie diet that you'll be eating up muscle and hurting yourself, which I think is, that's the craziest thing in the world. You want to end up with more muscle, be more metabolic, uh, more, more health potential than less. So that's, that's the kicker. So when I started my Body for Life journey way back in 1999, my goal was to get to 215 pounds, and I thought 8% body fat would be fantastic. That's, that, to me, in my head, that sounded really healthy, and that'd be an ideal weight for me. Mm-hmm. Also, also shredded. 8% body fat is shredded. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty shredded. And so when I finished the program, it, I, I could not believe what had happened because I was kind of operating with principles that I wasn't really familiar with or didn't have that much confidence in. But guys who knew what they were doing told me this is how it works. I finished the program, I was 7% body fat, and I was 237 pounds. Wow. So it's like, what? Like, I was 22 pounds heavier than I thought I would be huh. of muscle and leaner than I thought I'd be. And so I have never been under, since then, I've never been under 240 pounds, uh, which sounds so like when I get a life insurance uh, medical. Yeah. They call me they call me obese. That's amazing. So I I mean, we should probably money. say how tall are you? What are you, six four, something like that? I'm six three. I don't want people envisioning <laughs> you're not five eight. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> six three. Well you're a big so, dude. Yeah, I get, you're I you're get a big a medical dude. questionnaire and I I end up being because they're operating off of charts that come out of nineteen fifty six. Yeah. I end up being obese. It's right. like uh, can you just pinch my waistline and yeah. see that I don't have any <laughs> No, no, that's the chart. That's how it works. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the then then if a so for muscle gain, you have to have an excess of calories based on you think you said BMR. Yeah. And is it just as simple as saying okay, so someone wants to lose fat? I mean, hey, you, let's let's do it. Let's use you can use me as an example. So you know, you and I met. I think it's like I want to say like thirteen, fourteen years ago. Yeah. I I was. I like to say that I was like a nice warm bowl of pudding. Um, <laughs> when when we when we met, I hadn't uh, I hadn't done anything athletic in a few years. So what did we? I know that we went into a like I went into a serious fat loss resume. Was it is it then just calorie deficiency? Like is that all it is? Like find out what you're burning, go less calories, and that's it. Or what? What's the method if somebody needs to lose fat um, as one of the objectives? Yeah, so there's there's a conversation that has to happen before we set the number, which is we need to have our expectations in check. Yeah, people go into these diets with with horrifically distorted expectations of what's going to happen, and so they think, you know what? I've, I've I saw it online. This guy did this particular plan, and he lost twelve pounds in seven days. Mm-hmm. I'm like, good lord! Like, what's happened? Did he cut off his arm? Like, what happened? So, no, it's, it's all water weight, but it looks really, really impressive. So people get these ideas in their heads that they can do these extreme programs that somehow they're going to come out the back end of this extreme program looking amazing mm-hmm. and, uh, and be, still be okay. Like they're, they're going to be metabolically and physically and mentally okay, which is not the case. So the first thing you have to do is say, you know what, let's take a long view. I'm, I'm turning 55 this year. 
and my view gets longer and longer as I go because I really want to do this for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go be lifting and training into my 70s. I mean, it's it's what I do and it's what I love. So I need a long, long approach. So someone comes in and says, okay, I've got a wedding in three weeks. Right. What can I do? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, Starve yourself. <laughs> not a whole lot. Yeah. And I don't really want to touch this because this is, this is crazy. You can drop some water, you can do that, but anything else is just going to be counterproductive and you're going to become a larger version of yourself after the wedding. It's guaranteed. So first thing is to say, you need a longer, a longer view. We're committing to a long view on this. So that's, for, that's step one. Yeah. And once that's established and we have that BMR, that line set in this, uh, where your body is actually burning, then we, the adjustments is, is actually very, very minimal. So there's a, it was an online book. It's now a published book. It was called uh, Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle, or Feed the Muscle, Burn the Fat. Yeah. So it was quite popular back in the early 2000s, and it's full of very good scientific information. And based on that, all, the only um, adjustment necessary up and down from your BMR is about 500 calories. Now, if you're a bigger individual, you might have to do a little more than 500, but 500 is about what the body can, can handle and not register as a, as a problem. So if you go above 500 to gain muscle, so guys go on these you know, 5,000 calories a day, 6,000 calories a day to gain muscle. Well, you're going to also gain fat with that, right? Right. Your body has to do something with the excess. It can't put it all into muscular gain. And so now you're going to gain some fat, and then you're going to have to go flip the program and try to burn off the fat. And so, again, it's a very short vision of what should be a long-term process. And the same is true for, for, for losing fat. Rather than dropping it by 500 calories, you go, you know what? If I drop it by 1,500 calories, I'll lose fat so much faster, which is not true. Your body just shuts down. So if you have a... Um whatever, a a 40-year-old female who you figure is burning 2,400 calories a day, you're saying that you you can't, that person, I don't even know if these numbers are right, I don't know if that would be average, but then you're not dropping that individual below 19, you you cannot, it's not good to drop below 1,900 calories intake in a fat-burning plan, is that correct? And that's 1,900 calories including your daily activity deficit, right? So if you're doing 800 calories... Of, of exercise that's right. going out the door and right. you need 1800 to survive. Now right. we're at 2,600 just to keep you alive. So then you have to take that into account. Got it. Cause it's really easy to have those numbers just slide away on you. And people do this all the time. They start their, their plan and they get up in the morning and today is the day I'm not going to, I'm not going to screw up. You'll see. And they have one egg for breakfast and then they don't eat anything until like two in the afternoon and they have a salad and then, you know, they've just nothing on it, maybe a little bit of chicken on the salad. And then five o'clock, they're losing their minds and they have, okay, I'm just going to eat just this little thing. And then eight o'clock, they go to the fridge and just lose their minds and just eat the whole fridge mm-hmm. and tell themselves they'll do better tomorrow. But there's no balance. There's no flow. The body's freaking out. doesn't know what, when it's going to get more calories or, or what they're going to be. So it doesn't work. Yeah, it's actually when you're eating with intentionality and you're eating clean food, it's amazing how it, <laughs> eating can become work because good nutrition is abundance. It is. And it's, you know, it's one thing to go to uh, white, you can, at white spot, you can get 2,500 calories in a meal. But if you're trying to get 2,500 calories with good, wholesome, healthy food, uh, you got to eat a lot. You got to eat a lot. You got to eat a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're controlling your, your uh, saturated fats, which uh, fats are obviously the highest caloric food. 
if you're keeping those in check, suddenly you're relying on proteins and, and fibrous carbohydrates for for your energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to eat. And that's the thing. Most people look at the, the menus that I give them and they go, what? I got to eat all this food? Yeah. Like, yeah, you got to eat all this food. Like, this is, we got to get that, that furnace stoked, man. You got to get the, the fire burning. When the fire starts to burn and the muscle starts to grow, you're going to feel very different. So expand on that. I was actually just thinking, I wanted to ask you that because I learned this, this language and I learned this from you years ago, but what's the relationship between, you know, eating, getting your metabolic rate up, getting that furnace burning and making like, you know, I'll maybe screw this language up, but you know, you, I remember you used to say, you know, you got to get your, your, your furnace burning and your body used to burning at a higher rate so that it isn't in this like starvation mode. Is that, mm-hmm. you, can you just talk around that and what that all means? I mean, the body is extremely intelligent in terms of its register for caloric intake, what's coming in, what's going out, what you're doing. And so when we, as we talked earlier, if you're reducing your calories too dramatically, the body will, will register that very quickly within five to seven days, it, reg- it registers what you're doing. So if you're supposed to be eating 2,500 calories and you say, you know what, this is my it's January, I'm going to lose weight. You go to 1,500 calories, the body will reg- register that really quickly and the metabolism will just dial down. It'll, it'll move towards burning a set rate of 1,500 calories. It means it has to shut down systems, which means you get more tired, you, get, you lose your appetite, you feel weaker, you're losing muscle. It's just the, it's the, it's exactly the opposite direction you want to go. We want to go pretty much 180 degrees away from that, where we're actually putting food into the body. We get this food actually causes a thermic reaction. The reality is that 80% of our calories, our daily, our BMR, is burned from what we consume. That's that's it's it's all involved in the consumption and and and. Uh, the calories that go in, that's that's the majority of what we're we're using our energy for. Say that so again. Say that again. Eighty percent of what we consume is used in the consumption? No, that's the, so the food you're taking in a day is that well, no, eighty percent is gonna be used just in, in staying alive, right? Oh, I it, see what you're saying. Just in staying alive, eighty so percent. If, got if it. you're eating what you're supposed to be eating. Yes. It's not gonna be eighty percent if you you know, if you ate four thousand calories and then eighty percent of that got it. is gonna be used up. It won't got be it. But the majority gets used that way, right? Hmm. So you've got your basic metabolic rate, which is kind of 60 per 70% of your daily. That's just existing, staying alive, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got digestive metabolism. So the thermic effect of food, the body is actually working to, to use this food. And the interesting thing is that protein requires about 25% more calories to be processed than fats and carbs. So more protein means your body's working harder to get calorie. It means you're burning calories just eating protein, hmm. which is kind of a cool thing. And then we've got our exercise and exertion metabolism, which is about 15, can it be up to 30%, depending how extreme you are, of your daily caloric burn, depending on what you do and how. But the reality is, so back to our original point, the more muscle you have, the more you will burn calories just at rest, the more you will burn calories while you train, the more you'll be burning calories all day long. The less muscle you have, the less efficient you're going to become. Because your machine is just, it, 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 it needs more to burn because it's got more you're muscle. You're losing horsepower. You're going from yeah. a 14 horsepower engine down to a 10. You're burning less, you're burning less fuel and, yeah, and you're shutting her down. So, yeah, so the idea of having food as a thermic reaction in the, in the system is huge. It's huge. The body responds, but it's not just food. It's the right foods. So 
so as I said, it's, it's clean proteins. Clean proteins the body has to work to get the calorie out of. It's clean and fibrous carbohydrates that the body has to work to get the, the calories out of. And it's controlled a certain, it's, a, it's about a 70-30 ratio controlled quantity of fat. So 30% saturated. We still need some saturated fat to keep our hormones um, healthy and active. And about 70% is essential fat. So liquid at room temperature, nuts, that sort of thing. Um, if we control these things and we have the right balance coming in, we'll get a nice thermic effect and we'll feel better. We'll feel cleaner. The brain will run properly. It's, it's amazing. But we are all, and I include myself in this category, we are all culturally conditioned to believe that putting the little Debbie cake into my mouth and <laughs> chewing that chocolatey, creamy, artificial piece of crap will make me feel better. And it does for about 15 seconds till you swallow it. And then it's over. And we go, oh, what have I done? What have I done? We know, everyone knows that if I ate the the clean chicken breast and the, the brown rice and some steamed vegetables on a nice plate, nice presentation with a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, essential fat sauce on there. I would feel better. I'd look better. I'd, I'd perform better. Mm -hmm. But making that decision, that's, that's the kicker. So what's happening in the brain when, when somebody's doing all the right things, okay, like they're, they've committed to the program, let's assume that, you know, they're, they're not calorie deficient they're but they're walking the line so they're you know they're they're because they're they're trying to you know lose some weight and then you get to whatever eight o'clock at night and all of a sudden you know the the crazy person in your brain is thinking about the bag of potato chips or the debbie cake <laughs> what like what what's chemically happening inside and why is that occurring well the brain, unless it's put into full ketosis, it'll burn ketones in that scenario. But the brain primarily burns glucose as an energy source. Yeah. So when you go hypoglycemic in the evening, your brain begins to go into a little bit of a panic. And we've all, I think we've all had that food panic sensation. Totally. Where you feel like, oh, I think I'm going to die. If yep. I don't eat the cookies, I'm going to die. It's true. I do need to eat them. It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so <laughs> that panic, but here's, here's the, uh, so I, I kind of gave a bit of a, an out, a layout of a, of a daily diet. So someone gets up in the morning, eats almost nothing, doesn't eat anything at lunch and they get to the evening and suddenly this, this brain panic kicks in, the yeah. hypoglycemic kicks in and literally your body takes over and it says, um, you don't have a choice now. You're going to go to that, that kitchen and the calories you're lacking, you're going to eat until I'm satiated. And you do that. You stand by the toaster and you're toasting away. You don't even know what you're doing. You're just eating <laughs> spoonful of spoonful of peanut butter and glasses of milk, just trash. Yeah. And then suddenly your body goes, there it is. Okay, thank you. You can go to bed now. Yeah. And you're done. But so what I tell people is if you get up in the morning and you have so and you and you intentionally break fast, you you feed your system immediately. Give the body the calories it needs for the day. Those calories won't be stored, especially if they're clean calories. They go to boosting metabolism, getting all the engines started, and getting all the party started. So if you have a stronger beginning to your day calorically, way better chance you'll have success at the end of the day to control yourself. If you have a weak beginning, end of the day is basically a write-off. You're just going to be <laughs> you'll be a slave to the kitchen. Off you go. Hmm. The chips will speak louder than your reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I had a moment like that last night and I, I, I ate some, uh, what are those, what are those really 
Fuel is amazing. Macadamia nuts. So I had I had a, I had a few macadamia nuts because the fat in the macadamia nuts can can uh, obviously make those those terrible feelings go away. So <laughs> I I hit a few mac nuts and and I was able to I was able to make it through the rest of the evening. What is what's happening in when your body's building muscle? Oh, I know. Sorry, I want to go back to to something I don't want to miss on. So. You know, you were talking about there was that that online book. I guess it turned into a real book, and it was something to the effect of like you're either, you know, you're either cutting fat or building muscle. I think it's hard to do both, and so I think of it as kind of like this chicken and egg conversation. In that, what is the what is the thing that someone should be doing first? Like what I I think what I hear you say quite often is that to have that high burning furnace that, you know, that V8 engine is the most important thing. So even if someone wants to lose fat, is it first more important to build muscle or how do you, how do you look at that question? I would say hundred percent. The first step is always try to get your, your metabolism up and try to gain some muscle. So if you look online, you read some books, you talk about the science behind it would say that it's almost impossible to gain muscle while you lose fat. It's, it's yes. apparently they're diametrically opposed to each other. Yes. Now, here's the irony. I did not use steroids. I used very, very sound nutritional program. And I was a complete, you know, nutrition Nazi for 14 weeks. I lost 51 pounds of fat and I gained 20 pounds of muscle in 14 weeks. Hmm. And guys in my gym are saying, oh, yeah, he's, he's on the juice for sure. He's taking steroids. There's no way this can be done. And I was just saying, I'm just eating very, very disciplined. I'm eating like it's my job. I'm doing a, a psychotic free day. People would not believe what I'd eat on a free day. I'd eat a whole, you know, a pizza and a half and a pan of cinnamon buns. And a, I'd drive to different places that I'd been thinking about and just eat, eat, eat. And my, I would lay in bed at night sweating from the thermic reaction my body would have, just sweating. And the scale would go up for a couple of days, Monday, Tuesday. By Wednesday, I'd be back to level. And then Thursday to Sunday would be crank time. And I'd be dipping around, you know, taking it further down. And this was extreme. Do I, would I recommend this to everybody? No. But in terms of understanding the process and saying that these things are actually possible, if you follow the different avenues and disciplines, um, you can do both at the same time. But to answer your question, muscle gain has always got to be our first consideration. That's why I run a, I run a weightlifting gym. That's what I do. Uh, if you want to do cardio, that's fantastic. We need cardio. But I wanna, my interest is in building a strong muscular body that can defend itself, that can do all the hormonal things it needs to do, that can you know deal with life and the diseases and everything else. We, we, we're seeing now, you and I were talking yesterday, that finally the medical community is coming out and saying that one of the best defenses against these coronaviruses is having a healthy body and an active exercise-based life. Yeah, they're, they're kind of saying it here in Canada. In, in other countries, they're, they're blatantly calling out calling it out what it is and that obesity is 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 the problem but in it's canada they're, they're, they're just tiptoeing around the conversation yeah but yeah so i mean i'm not yeah muscle is 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 what i do it's it's always been I, since i was 13 years old about my first weightlifting kit and uh had it in my basement and in fact i had it in the very room i'm sitting in right now and i started lifting weights and i fell in love with the process and uh, i didn't know anything about nutrition i was 13 but yeah you know, 13, you can get away with a lot of stuff because your testosterone. So, yeah. What happens in the, um, the, in the, in the cheat day conversation? 
there's something happening physically and mentally. So maybe speak to both. Start with physically, like, you know, you're, you're going, and I know I've heard you say this too, like it doesn't have to be every seventh day. I mean, I know there's people that will say it, you know, you can stretch it out to eight or nine or 10 days or whatever, but whatever it is, you know, physically there's something going on for that, call it six day period. And then what's the benefit? What are you doing to your body when you shock it with all of those calories? So we talked about the thermic reaction or the thermic overload of food, right? Yeah. So we, we want these caloric resets that are really important for the body to not go into some sort of a, an adjustment mode or a hibernation mode. So if you're under eating, if you're doing all this exercise and you're taking in these calories, but you're still under eating a little bit, your body's going to slowly dial down its, its thermostat. So think of your body as having a, a dial thermostat inside of it. You start out at set at 22 degrees. You reduce your calories. Suddenly, the body recognizes that, and within it usually was within seven days, it'll dial that thermostat down. Right. So now it's not twenty-two; it's going to go to twenty. You still feel pretty good, but now it's down to twenty. So we're burning a little less efficiently. So when we dump in this load of calorie, and I tell people it doesn't have to be garbage calories, but right. the reality is, lots of fat and easy carbs makes you, makes it easier to get all those calories in. And uh, you can really bump your, your metabolism that way. And that touches on the mental piece too, though, right? Because mentally, Absolutely. You're, you're dra- it can be draining eating in this, in this you know, regimented way. Yeah. And then what happens when you get that pizza or whatever, like there, there's something that goes on in the brain too. Absolutely. It's, it's a reward cycle. I mean, let's be honest uh, that eating good, tasty foods is one of the greatest things in life as a human totally. being. Yeah, You remove that, you, you remove a lot of my personal joy. When I go to Hawaii, which we just did a few weeks back, mm-hmm. I've got a list of the restaurants we're going to hit. And I know what's on the menus at those restaurants that I'm going to have. And I'm excited about <laughs> the food I'm going to consume. I love the beach. I love the snorkeling. I love the scuba diving, the hiking. But almost equally, I love the food experience when I'm on vacation. And that's just a reality. So remove that, and you've removed a big piece of joy. From a person's life. So if you know every seventh day, you get to have whatever you want. You can eat a whole cheesecake if you want. You can have the full pizza. You can have anything. <laughs> there, suddenly you're going, I can do anything for six days, I think. And just so, you, so for your listeners, just so they know, when I was doing Body for Life, I never made it more than four days. I couldn't, I couldn't last because I was going so hard. I was doing double cardio. Oh, you blew out every, you you did a, you did a. I got lightheaded and dizzy and I was like feeling really weird and I wouldn't do a full cheat day. I would do a cheat meal. And so usually it was pizza. I'd load up on, on just those, those cheap carbs and those cheap fats and uh, pineapple because I'm a pineapple, pineapple guy. I would load it in and immediately I'd feel just things were just changed and then back on it, back on it. So every four or five days, I would just be having a free big meal. Wow. And occasionally I'd do a full day, but that's what I did. And it worked. Hmm. It worked. Very cool. So then, then that, that brings us back to moderation. So if you know that you can still have all the things in your life that you think suddenly, I can never have these things again. Oh, yeah. my life's going to be, you know, egg whites and, and, and broccoli. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to sustain. That's not sustainable. No one no. can do that. No. That's gross. Yeah. Like, leave me out of that one. I have not gone probably more than nine days without a burger in the last 20 years. <laughs> I haven't gone more than two weeks without a pizza in the last yeah. two years. Like, those are things I really love. Yeah. And I'm not willing to give up. But I'm also the guy who's in the gym at 4 a.m. 
cranking hard to make sure those things don't take me down. <laughs> it's it's worth noting. I mean, you're an early riser. It's worth noting though. Like the time of day does not matter, right? Like it, it, it's it's just about getting it in. It's not like is there a time that you find is is better than better than not for, or does it not matter amongst different people? There's subtle um, discussions surrounding what's called the, the afterglow of exercise, where you have a caloric burn from the stimulation, the muscle tissue has been pushed in. Right. Especially in cardio, in hit cardio, you get this, uh, there's an oxygen, oxygen depletion. The body's fighting to replace that for, you know, some say it can be an hour, some say it lasts all day. Which would give credence to the one and doing it in the morning. Then. So the morning yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah. But end of the day, it's get it in when you can get it in. Totally. And uh, it's all good. And the reality is, so when it comes to muscle gain, you're not growing when you're in the gym. You're creating the environment. You're, you're giving yourself the stimulus for growth when you're in the gym. You're growing when you're sleeping. You're growing when you have nutrients in your body and your body is rebuilding itself. That's when the growth happens. Yep. So if you go to the gym seven days a week and crank it and, and you're actually doing too much exercise, you're hurting yourself too much and you're not eating the proper nutrition and you're, not, you're a stressful person and you don't sleep very well, you'll probably not be able to gain muscle and you'll be frustrated because I'm doing all the right things and I'm trying so hard. Oftentimes, it's like, you know what? You need to take your foot off the gas, go back to four or three days a week in the gym, sleep more, maybe eat a little more, and just let the body do its thing because it's pretty good at that. Interesting. Yeah. So you've, you have carved out a very interesting uh, niche for yourself, you know, and I'm sure it's changed over 21 years, but in the time I've known you, you work, for, for lack of a better word, uh, this word gets overused, but you, you work primarily with self-employed or business for self entrepreneurs. That's a, that's yeah. a fair statement, correct? Fairly exclusively. Yeah. So like that's a very defined segment of society. Um, it also happens to be, you know, the majority of the, the people who will be listening to, to your episode here. Mm -hmm. What, what, uh, what are just some, some things that you reflect upon about that subgroup of people in terms of maybe uh, things that, that give them an edge, but then also things that you've observed that are the common, you know, stumbling blocks along the way. I don't know if that's enough of a, if that's too broad of a question, but I just wanted to hear your, your kind of general thoughts on what you've observed in your time working with those type of people. I would go full circle to where we started this conversation to the process of the externalization of hope, mm. where these people, these entrepreneurs, have gone in, in exactly the opposite direction of externalization of hope. They are as far away from a union worker as you can get, right? Yeah. They actually, they own everything in their universe. They own it. Entrepreneurs yeah. do well in the gym because they are the, they're the buck stop people. All they know is ownership. All they know is responsibility. All they know is if they don't get out there and hustle, there's not going to be bread on the table. So that's, that's their world. And it's all about accountability. That's their mother tongue is accountability versus sort of, a, and I don't use the word too loosely, but a kind of a socialist hide behind authority. It's not my fault. And someone else will pay for it in the end anyway. Mindset. Yeah. That type, type person, they, they've in their psychology, they have an escape clause built. It's always there. Hmm. You know, uh, coronavirus comes along and, oh, it's okay because I'll get Serb, right? I'll yeah. sit at home and get Serb. I go, no, good Lord. I know that sounds really convenient and wonderful, and you can just sit around and watch Netflix and eat cookies, but it is really damaging you psychologically to buy into that. Mm -hmm. If you got out there and hustled, I got to change careers. I, 
my restaurant shut down. I got to do something new. And I see these stories in the news hour where guys have completely changed Remade their themselves. careers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, in order to survive. And now they're thriving again. I go, wow, that's what it's about. So when it comes to entrepreneurs in the gym, all they know is accountability. So they come in here. They don't look at me and say, Barry, can you help me? I don't know what it, I, I'm, I'm hopeless. They just say, <laughs> you show me what to do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to apply myself to this process and I'll do it. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And it's kind of fun because a lot of them don't have anyone in their life that tells them what to do because they're always the boss mm -hmm. and they don't want to be told what to do. If someone tries to get up in their grill, they kind of crush it. And so they come into my little gym here and they sort of lay down the mantle for a minute and go, you know what? You take control. Like, okay, I'll do that. This is kind of fun. And off we go. Yeah. And they trust me and they know that I'm, a, you know, I've got um, integrity. I'm not going to abuse anything that they leave with me, but uh, it's, it's quite the fun process. Is that, did you, was that intentional or did you just kind of stumble into that? Like, how did that evolve? That you just ended up with this subset of people? I think it happened probably because of my history with, in the pastorate. Having oh. a I have a degree in counseling and I did a lot of that type of thing. And people, it's sort of, I, you know, I have referenced this before, but I'm seen sort of as a trainer, bartender, priest. Oh, yeah, guy. totally, totally. Right? I, so they, I, they absolutely. Have this, it's a safe place where they can do their workout, but they know they can also, because Event. the thing about exercise, it, it brings things out of us, right? Like you came into the, into the gym a few weeks back and I looked at you, I said, hey, what's going on? Like you're carrying something today and you, and you let me know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It brings things out. And so... They, these guys, they don't have a lot of places they can, they can talk about their real selves, their real lives. And they, uh, they find value in the ability to just speak the truth in this safe little weird barn turned into a gym in Bradner. And, uh, and it just works. What have you observed about like the ups and downs of the year in terms of like output in the gym and how it relates to what's happening in somebody's work life? Oh yeah. Like, you know, I'll, maybe I'll just leave it at that. Like, what are your, what are your observations? I know you have observations there. Cause I know you've said to me sometimes, like, I'll look at you and I'll say like, oh man, that was such a, that was such a shit workout. You know, I, I didn't, you know, and then you'll say, Hey, you showed up, you did it. You, your body doesn't, how, what do you say to me? You say your body actually doesn't know the weight. It only knows resistance or something like that. I may be screwing up yeah, what you're your saying. Your body doesn't know weight. It only knows that. The muscle doesn't know weight. It only knows intensity. Right. So right? I'm beating myself up because I didn't maybe do what I think I should do because maybe I'm just totally worn out from my life. Yeah. So just, yeah, I'll stop talking. What are your observations around that? Well, it basically, I summarize it by saying, I call it seasons. Everyone has a season. And when I, when I see a guy walking in and I work... My wife works with, with women and I work with the men and that's intentional. Yeah. I don't really need <laughs> women sharing their deep cells with me. That's not a healthy <laughs> thing for a successful marriage. <laughs> but when a guy walks in the door and I, and I, I feel it, it's palpable. And I have a, I have a very strong sensate side and I, I read people and I have, a, I have a heart for people. And so when I see them carrying something, we just start the conversation. It's like, what's going on? Like, what's, what's happening? And they'll tell me, this is a, I'm in a season of this at my work. This is happening. This is happening. There's unrest. There's this, 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 and this. I'm like, okay, well, the reality is if your brain is sidetracked and, and pulled to the side by all these things, your ability to focus in the gym is going to be really, really tough. So what we'll do at this point is rather than going after heavier weights and, 
and super high intensity, we'll, tr- we'll just try to do some volume training, make sure the muscle's getting what it needs. And when you come and you feel like it's ready to time to crack again, then we can do that. But in the meantime, this season, let's just, let's just get her done. And then guys will come in and there'll be a spark in their eye. I don't know if something has changed. There, there's something new in them. And, and it's like, oh, it's time to go. And they will do a, a four, six, eight, 12 week run of just, just killing it. Yeah. And they think, oh, this is going to last forever. And I just, no, it won't. It won't. Something will come along. And the more challenges are, are along, they're coming along. But enjoy this while it lasts because this is a season two. And so it's just knowing that that's how life works. There's just seasons. And some, some are amazing. And some are like two years of COVID and they just, they just suck ass. But what can you do? Yeah. What about um, weight fluctuation in relation to seasons? I know that I, like, well, I mean, if a person decides like, hey, I should be 200 pounds, like, is that a good way to think about it? Or should you think seasonally throughout the year and, 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 and be, and embrace the idea of your body, you know, going up and down a certain percentage? So I would say it, it would be dictated by your somatotype, like your body type. Yeah. So I had a, I had a guy in yesterday, he was clearly an ectomorph. And what does that mean? He just, it means he's given to just being thin and not carrying a lot of body fat, can't hold on to muscle effectively. So what, are the, what are all the categories? Just, it, Sorry, what are all the categories? So you got ectomorph, which is your you're traditionally thin. Yeah. They, uh, they don't have a lot of body fat. They can't hold muscle very well. And you've got the... The mesomorph, who's kind of a combination, right? There's, they, they gain muscle quickly, but they can also gain some fat, but not crazy, kind of in the middle. Yeah. And you've got endomorph. And the endomorphs, they just, they, because of maybe because of their childhood and the, the fat cell development in that point or their history, whatever it is, genetics, they just have a natural, and if they don't keep it in check, they can gain fat very, very quickly. Yeah. And so it depends on a person's body type when they come in. So seasonally for the ectomorph, their challenge is you got to keep eating, man. Right. <laughs> keep eating. Yeah. Don't you can turn eating. into a rail. Yeah. Yeah. You'll just lose it all. And for guys like you and I, the mesomorphs, we can get away with a little bit of excess, but we convince ourselves that we're gaining muscle through that process, but we know we're getting some fat too. But as long as we keep it in check within a matter of, you know, six weeks, we're going to be okay. Yeah. But for an endomorph, who finds it very hard to burn that fat. And there's, there's, there's reasons for that because of the, the hormonal balances they have. And there are some real physiological challenges for an obese person to lose fat right. they're up against. But for that person, they need to be very mindful of what they do in their recreational time and how they eat in those, in those windows. Because they can put on, without even thinking about it, they can put on 20 pounds. And that 20 pounds is tough to lose. So that's, that's, that's the cat. It's not fair. Obviously it's not fair that one person can just sit there and eat the whole, you know, pizza and cinnamon buns and not gain a, in, an ounce. Whereas I look at, uh, at a cinnamon bun and I've gained a few pounds. So it's not fair, but that's how it is. And that, that I mean, that's, that's gene pool stuff, right? Like that's just what you are in your DNA. There's no, yeah. there's no change in that. And we, I think that that leads me to another thought that I was having, which is in terms of our culture, and I think we're doing a better job of this these days, but we've done a really, just a horrible disservice to people in terms of body image shaming, telling them how they're supposed to look, what, what the end product should look like. You should have a six pack with biceps that look like this and a chest that looks like this. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. You've done something wrong versus, so I talked to one of my doctor friends and say, so what, what's the current medical norm for body fat? 
looks like, well, men, the new medical norm is sitting around 20%. Well, any guy in the gym would say 20% is disgusting. You can't even hardly see your, you can't see your abdominals. Like, that's gross. Yeah, not at 20%, yeah. Yeah, but the doctor says, no, 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 you don't understand. With 20% body fat, when disease comes along, you actually have resources to fight it. Hmm. Now, above 20%, now you're getting into, into a danger zone. For women, it's around 24 to 26% body fat, which is a healthy norm. So those, those numbers have changed, and we need to keep in touch with what the medical community is saying, this is a healthy norm, versus what the fitness community says, this is what you want to look like. Right. So what the fitness community says, this is what you want to look like, is like for men, it's around, you know, whatever. It would start at 12 or 13, and it would go oh, down. It's, it's 10% and under. That's, that's you know, the kind of like the CrossFit yeah, bodybuilder yeah, yeah. type body, right? And it looks amazing. It looks yeah. fantastic. Really tough to uh, to maintain. I've been down there a few times, and every time I get down there, I'm not a very nice person to live with. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I might look good, but I'm not enjoying my life. Yeah. Like, yay, I look great. I'll, you know, take the photo. Woo! But what are, people are, but, but so with the obesity rates that they are at in the Western world, I mean, U.S. is a bit worse than Canada, people aren't walking around at 20. They're, you know, a lot of people are walking around at what, 40, 35? Well, 30 plus 30, for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and a lot of times you got people that they look like they're reasonably like normally shaped, but if you did a, a pinch test or a BMI on them, you'd find out that they are, they're skinny fat. Like there's not a lot of muscle tissue there. Mm-hmm. And the muscle that is there is, is got a lot of uh, uh, ribbon fat in there. It's just, it's, you know, they're marbled. Mm-hmm. They've been in the feedlot too long, getting marbled up. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. These aren't wild yeah. animals. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything, you know, I, I've heard you say this a number of times, you know, not much has changed. You get, you get new philosophies, new books, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, it all kind of always comes down to the same thing. Do you, do you foresee any kind of big philosophical shifts in food or in training? Or is that something where you just think like it's always just something being rewritten in a different way? I think it, uh, I don't foresee any major shifts and I don't tend to pay a lot of attention to major shifts. In fact, when people come in and say, Oh, did you read about this? This is the crazy new thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going to be unreal. I usually just, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Well, let's, let's examine this. Let's see what they're doing. Take it with a grain of salt and then just sit back and wait, just sit back and watch and wait. So I've done this a few times and you know what, when it comes to, so the one that I'm going to pick on right now is, is the ketosis or keto diet, right? Mm -hmm. People go into keto, and the thing about keto, for me, the unfortunate thing about keto is it actually works. Like, you do lose body fat. Oh, absolutely. Like, you, like dramatically. Yeah, we, um, you, you and I both also. watch people lose it. Yeah, you lose, you lose body fat, but you also lose muscle. You, know, that's, you cannot lose that degree of, of body fat without losing muscle, which means you're losing metabolic potential, which means eventually, unless you're the 1% who can do this long term, uh, your body's going to to react to that, and you're going to react to that, and you're going to go back to carbohydrates, and you're going to go boom and explode and go way past your original weight, and it's going to be a nightmare for you. So, getting back to the, what was the original question? Well, you the, just the the you know the evolution of thought, and if there's new, yeah. if you think there would be anything new that would come down that would be you know earth shattering, either in the food conversation or in the training conversation. I don't think so. I think everything comes back to center eventually. So. Um, I first got into, as I said, into the weight room back when I was 13. I got into there seriously, joined a gym when I was 17. 
and I have never looked back. But things have changed dramatically, like about 15, 20 years ago when functional training became a real big thing. Yeah. Gyms were selling their equipment, all their their big machines and stuff, just selling out and clearing out the the, the area, making giant areas for for just doing functional stuff. Uh-huh. So you can just get get the slam balls going and the ropes and everything else, and they got rid of all the machines. Well, they're getting rid of their machines. I was buying all their machines <laughs> because I believe in that. Because I'm like, well, the reason I lift weights is to develop muscle tissue, and in order to do it effectively, I have to have very specific lines to do that. If I want to do functional stuff, I've got a yard and a driveway, and I've got stuff outside I can do that. But this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to create muscle, and I want to do it in this specific manner. And so that was 15 years ago. And I've noticed just recently, there was an article in one of my fitness magazines that comes online here. And the name of the article was The Return of the Machine. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, here we go. If you wait long enough, the pants that you had in 75 will come back in fashion. Well, here we are. The machines are back in fashion. Oh. Because you can control and you can you can work through injuries and you can find these lines that are very effective and yeah. uh, it just it does what it's supposed to do. It works. That's good. Yeah. I think we've uh I think we've kinda I mean, unless there's 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 something that I haven't drawn out of you that you think needs to be drawn out, I feel like we've kind of uh come full circle on this and hit everything I wanted to hit. Yeah, I think we covered a few things here. That's a that's a natural a natural endpoint and I know you've got <laughs> You got a busy day of uh, you got a busy day of training. You're not seeing me today. You're seeing you're seeing me tomorrow. But I'm sure you got a yeah. busy a busy sked of uh, of of training people today. That yeah, is if they can find their way. Minutes. Is the ice gone? I don't know if the ice is gone. Is the, no, it, it's kind of crunchy and uh, it's trying to trying to leave, but it's not not warm enough for it to fully go. So yeah, we'll see. We need that. We need that sun out. Well, I am. Uh, I I love hanging and chatting with you. I am sincerely appreciative of your time and. Um, yeah, there's not much more I can say. I just, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to shoot, to do this with us. Absolutely. Anytime, man. You know that. I will uh, look forward to seeing you again very soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks, Barry. Take care. Have a great day. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye.